Now, many of us who are married wear a wedding ring. The church in which my wife Tina and I were raised and, and came to faith in Jesus was very conservative, and uh, we actually were forbidden to wear jewelry. It was considered worldly. And so when we were married, we didn't wear wedding rings. Uh, this created a little social awkwardness and some confusion among my classmates and good friends at the University of Illinois. And so being the rebels we were, uh, the first summer after we were married, we traveled to Tulsa to attend a Kenneth Hagen camp meeting. And when we were you know, there, we, we considered the, uh, and acknowledged that we were so far away from home now that no one would certainly recognize us. So we snuck into a Kay's jeweler and we bought our first pair of wedding rings, paid a whopping $375 for the pair. Now, friends, you can buy a really big diamond for $375. And my band was made in a four-carat gold. Count it, four-carat. I still wear it. All the Florentine is now gone. Uh, Tina lost her ring a long time ago. And then the replacement diamond uh, that she uh, bought actually had to be cut off of her finger uh, several summers ago when she suffered an allergic reaction to plants in the yard. So she's still waiting on the big one. <laughs> Those of us who wear a wedding ring uh, would acknowledge and understand that our marriage is more than a ring, right? If you don't, we'll be praying for you at the end of today's <laughs> service. Nevertheless, the wedding ring is a very simple and beautiful and powerful symbol of the very sacred and loving relationship. It's a sign of our promise, the covenant or the vows that we've made. And so today we're going to discover that water baptism is similarly a simple and beautiful and powerful symbol of the most loving and sacred relationship that we have with our Lord Jesus Next Sunday, we'll actually be celebrating our very first water baptism service here at the Peoria Vineyard. And I want to share a message today titled, Understanding Water Baptism, in order that we might more fully experience uh, next Sunday in, in everything that God has planned. So let's pray together. Lord, we uh, honor you today at the start of this brand new week. We pray the prayer you taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, blessed be your name. We pray, God, that the fullness of your name would be manifest and made present in our life and in our family and our church family and in our community. We pray that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done. Lord, you know the ways in which we need your kingdom more than we do. So we pray that your kingdom would come, not just here in this room, uh, but even right next door, Vineyard Kids, where our kids are learning and growing and worshiping and praying as well. Cause us to be changed, to grow, to become more the people that you want us to be in your name today. Amen. For the 40 days of Lent, our church family went on an adventure that we called the 40-day adventure following the radical Jesus. And for those six and a half weeks, we read through the entire gospel of Mark. Now, it was a more challenging and encouraging journey through the gospel of Mark than I've had in my reading through that gospel uh, cover to cover in the last 30 years. You know, we were learning a lot about what it means that the kingdom of God is at hand. And what I'd like to do to kick things off today is actually look at Mark's uh, record of Jesus' final commissioning in the 16th chapter of his gospel. 
uh, the 15th and 16th verses. If you have a Bible or a Bible app, you want to open those up. You can follow along on the screen as well. We're looking at uh, Jesus' final commissioning for his followers to extend the kingdom. Mark's been telling us, what does it mean that the kingdom of God is at hand? And now here's the final commission, Mark 16, beginning in verse 15. And then he, Jesus, told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved, then anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. So we see here a very direct link between the good news called the gospel and water baptism. The disciples were to show and tell, to proclaim and demonstrate that God's kingdom had arrived, and those that embraced this truth were then to be baptized. And so we see in the text that to believe and to be baptized is the grounds to be saved. The word saved in this text means healed or delivered, to be made well, to be kept safe, to be rescued from danger. Now, interestingly, in the Holy Spirit's inspired account of the early church history in the book of Acts, that's the fifth book of the New Testament, Uh, we catch glimpses of how the disciples who originally heard this commission actually filled it out. In Acts 2, verses 38 and 41, the apostle Peter uh, stood to preach the first ever sermon on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit first fell and the church was birthed. He said, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The text concludes by saying those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day. Nearly 10 years after Pentecost, Peter visited the house of the Gentile Cornelius. And in Acts 10 verses 47 to 48, after the Holy Spirit fell on that audience, Peter said, can anyone object to their being baptized? now that they've received the Holy Spirit, just as we have. So he gave orders for them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then it was a full 20 years after Pentecost, uh, when Paul and Silas were on their second missionary journey in Philippi, after they had been arrested and imprisoned and then released through a miraculous earthquake, the jailer in their charge surrendered to Jesus, and the text reads that when he and everyone in his household, then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. So baptism was not a passing fancy of the early church in its infancy, nor was it a carryover from ancient Judaism. It was rather deeply embedded into the proclamation and demonstration of the good news or the gospel. And it has remained such for the last 2,000 years. So we might ask, why is baptism important? And I want to suggest to you this morning three compelling reasons. First, baptism is important because it's our first step of obedience to Jesus. Now, people come to faith in Jesus in many, many different ways. As we've read through Mark's gospel in the last several months, we saw Peter, Andrew, James, and John. They simply left their fishing business in the hands of the Father and the hired hands, and they followed Jesus. A man with leprosy and another who was paralyzed 
were healed, and then they became believers. Levi, the tax collector, heard Jesus' invitation, threw a dinner party at his house with all of his fellow sinners, and received salvation. A demonized homeless man was delivered and then came to faith. A woman that had a chronic bleeding condition merely touched the hem of Jesus' robe and was told by Jesus that her faith had made her well. Luke records a story about a prostitute who crashed a private dinner party, poured perfume on Jesus' feet, and received forgiveness. A short tax collector named Zacchaeus hosted uh, Jesus at his house for lunch, and uh, Jesus announced that salvation had come to his house. Another tax collector simply bowed his head in sorrow, saying, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner, and was made right before God. What do we see? There is no formula for coming to faith in Jesus. Some people's journey is more intellectual, uh, others is more experiential. Some happen over a long time, some in an instant. Some take place inside of a religious tradition, others completely outside the church. Some people have a great knowledge of the scriptures, other people know absolutely nothing about the Bible. Some come to Christ uh, out of a, a crisis or a need in their life or family, Others, through entertaining more existential questions, some come to faith out of love for God, others out of fear. Some are rich, some are poor. Some are female, some are male. Up and out, down and out. Jewish insider, Gentile outsider. Young, old people from every occupation, place, and station in life. There is no formula. And interestingly, we use lots of different language to surround this mysterious process of coming to faith. We use a variety of expressions, some that are found in the Bible and others that are rooted in church tradition. And so we speak of today getting saved, receiving forgiveness, becoming a Christian, becoming a disciple, coming to faith, being converted, being born again or justified, believing the gospel praying the sinner's prayer, repenting for our sins, trusting or following Jesus, surrendering our life to Jesus, believing in Jesus, joining a church, making a decision or a commitment, signing a pledge card, raising our hand, walking the aisle, and coming to the altar. You recognize your story somewhere in there? No matter what language we use as a way of accurately describing our experience, at some point in the journey, we identify Jesus the Christ as our Lord, the Lord, the boss, the king of our life. We come under his rule and we desire to love and serve and obey him for the rest of our life. That has to happen. We're no longer investigating the claims of the faith. We're no longer contemplating or considering. We believe. Christianity is no longer a a label that identifies our religious preference. Rather, we believe and become a disciple. At some point in the journey, that happens. And when we believe or identify 
ourselves as a follower of Jesus, one of the first acts of deliberate obedience is to be water baptism. As Jesus did, so do his followers. Uh, Jesus started his ministry by being baptized by John the baptizer. He was not a Baptist. He was John the baptizer. <laughs> and uh, when he submitted to John's ministry there at the Jordan River, uh, the text in Matthew, the third gospel, uh, the third chapter of his gospel says that Jesus reported it was the right thing to do. And so water baptism should become the priority of uh, obedience for followers of Jesus because it is the fitting, right, and proper thing to do. Now, it is important to remember that Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead is, is the only source of forgiveness of sin. His death and resurrection alone make it possible for sinful people like you and me to be restored in our relationship with God. When we embrace the good news of the gospel... Uh, of Jesus' death and resurrection, and we surrender our lives completely to Jesus, at that very moment, we become children of God. Powerfully, supernaturally, mysteriously, beyond our understanding, at that moment, our sin is forgiven. It's removed from us as far as the east is from the west. The Bible says at that moment, we are made new. We become his daughter. We become his son. We are no longer a sinner. We become a saint. That's good news. And when, and we, while we will continue to sin on our journey, at our core, that's not our identity. We are a son or a daughter of the living God. Paul describes this transaction this way in his letter to the church at Corinth. He needed to straighten out their thinking a little bit when he said, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. Now, to be clear, you do not need to be baptized in order for that to happen, in order for you to become a new person, for the old life to go and a new life to begin. Baptism is not a requirement for that to happen. Baptism is not a, a, a religious work that is necessary to be saved, to be healed, delivered, as we've, as we've seen in the text. The balance of the Bible makes this quite clear. For instance, in um, Paul's letter to the Ephesians, we see clearly that the water of baptism does not wash away our sin. Paul said, we praise God for the wonderful kindness that he's poured out on us because we belong to his dearly loved son. He is so rich in kindness that he purchased our freedom through the blood of his son and our sin is forgiven. So our sin is forgiven, and we are made new by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. However, the Bible teaches that we, we will be water baptized as one of our first acts of obedience. And so that's the very first compelling reason to be baptized. Secondly, baptism is important because it is our public profession of our commitment to Jesus and his family, the local church. Just like your wedding ring, points to something larger, more beautiful, simple, and powerful. So baptism points to our commitment to Jesus and his family, the church. Throughout the New Testament, uh, baptism is the means by which God has established for his followers 
to identify themselves. I suspect he could have picked any other number of symbols, but he didn't. He chose baptism. And so in this way, water baptism announces, I'm in. I'm changed. I'm a different person. My old life of, of sinful self-centeredness is gone. I, I'm, I'm living a new life. And it says, I'm now a vital part of God's new family, the church. I'm all in. It's taking all the chips and putting them in the center of the table. It says, I'm in. Now, being immersed in the water and then coming up out of the water is a public picture of what's happened to us spiritually. One person has described baptism in this way as an outward sign of an inward work. Here's how the Apostle Paul describes this picture for us in his letter to the church at Rome in the sixth chapter. Have you forgotten that when we were joined with Jesus Christ in baptism, we were joined, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, we now also may live new lives. So the imagery is powerful. And this is baptism is our public profession of this imagery. Jesus died. And when you became a follower of Christ, you died to sin and your old way of life. Jesus was buried. And so we are buried under the water. Jesus rose from the dead, and so we rise up out of the water of baptism to live a brand new life, serving a brand new king, King Jesus. Now, baptism certainly doesn't mean that we'll never sin uh, or yield to temptation again, or that we're already perfect people in garments white and glistening with halos. No, that's not going to be. It is a public profession, though, of a changed life, that the old man or old woman had died, a new one has come. That followers of Jesus were now committed to follow him and be a part, a vital part of his church family. So, second compelling reason, baptism is a public profession of our commitment to follow Jesus and be a vital part of his family. Thirdly, baptism is important because it's a doorway to more fully experience God's kingdom. In this way, Baptism is not a religious ritual where you just get wet and are embarrassed in front of a group of people. It's a doorway into a life that is infused with God's power. And it can be a powerful spiritual experience even in its own right. See, when Jesus was baptized, you might remember as we read in the Gospel of Mark, the heavens were opened, the Holy Spirit descended in the form of a dove, and God the Father pronounced his affirmation and his blessing on his Son. That is powerful. And those words of affirmation and the public expression of God the Father's pleasure uh, came before Jesus did anything. He wasn't like being rewarded because of good performance. They came before Jesus did anything in ministry. And I think God intends for his children, his followers, before they do anything, to receive that same sense of approval and affirmation. God wants to get you started on the journey right. You don't have to work for God's approval the rest of your life. He's not going to love you more and bless you more because you obey than the moment you believe. 
You can't earn his affirmation and approval with how hard you work as a Christian. God wants you to hear right from the get-go. You are already my son or my daughter, fully loved, fully accepted. You are new. The old you is dead and is now buried. And you have risen, uh, cleansed, a child of God, forgiven, never to be accused by the enemy again. You become a part of a new church a new family, the church, my your brothers and sisters, my sons and my daughters. You you now belong to the healing and helping and supporting and caring community known as uh, the church. You've risen to be uh, uh, living now a new life, led and guided by your in, my indwelling, powerful presence known as the Holy Spirit. It's a brand new day. And that's what I think God wants to happen uh, when we come up out of the waters of baptism and why he wants it to happen as soon as we make that full-on decision to surrender our life to God. Baptism is the doorway into that brand new way of living, led, guided, and empowered by the Holy Spirit who lives in you as a follower of Jesus. I think, frankly, we should just expect to create an atmosphere of joy and power and excitement when when next week we celebrate baptism right there in that stock tank. We should expect God's kingdom to break in among us and manifest his power and presence right as we baptize. Something real happens. That is to say, in the water of baptism, people are often healed and set free. They're strengthened. They're encouraged. They're envisioned for life. Some hear the voice of God. Some experience a calling to their future ministry and service in the body of Christ. Habitual sins can be broken. Addictions can be shattered. People can be touched and encouraged by the power of God. And it's not just the candidates. It's the people who participate because we're in this together. So I'm just going to like give you a warning. Like next week, just fasten your seatbelts because we're just going to expect God's powerful presence to be here in a, in a dramatic way. And you will feel his manifest presence. You see now, in, the Holy Spirit says he is here where, there, where there's just one or two of us. His promise is that he'll be here. But when we, when we read the entire New Testament, we understand that God's manifest presence The presence of God that can be seen and felt and experienced comes when the church gathers. In this sense, worship reaches its zenith in the gathered crowd. I'm all for having devotions at home by ourselves. I do every day. But there's a dynamic that happens when God's family comes together in love and support for one another and celebrates new life. That can't happen in any other way. Be expecting that is what he's telling us. So get ready. Now, let me just say directly And sincerely, if you've never made a quality decision to fully follow Jesus as Lord and King, I want to suggest today that you respond to his invitation. Become his son or daughter today. It can happen not because you go to church, not because you've been trying to be good lately to turn over a new leaf and through sheer willpower and determination become a better person. Self-help doesn't work. What works is when you stop, reevaluate life and change the direction of your life path. The Bible calls that repentance. It may be accompanied by emotion, but may not be. Biblical repentance is where you stop, you reevaluate and you turn. 
You turn from a life of sin and self-centeredness, being only concerned about you and your kingdom, and you decide to follow Jesus, a new king, and be preoccupied with obedience to his kingdom. Don't let all that's unknown intimidate you from making that decision. Don't, don't let fear or insecurity or pride hinder you from making that decision. It's my conviction that the journey of following Jesus, as mysterious and as profound as it is, it's going to consist of a thousand steps in your lifetime. But the journey has to include, at some point, this deliberate step of uh, uh, that's conscious and willful in turning from sin and self-centeredness and saying, in your heart and with your life, Jesus, I give you my life, I choose to follow you. I embrace your completed work in dying for my sin on the cross, being buried in the tomb and rising the third day to make me right with you. And I want to publicly profess that that's who I am and that's what I want to do. And that's where baptism comes in. So for those of you who make that decision, even today, right now, or as we sing in in worship, or at the close of our service where we'll give you an invitation to come up and let one of our prayer team members join with you in affirming that decision. Or if you've made that decision recently, but you've never told anybody, or you made it a long time ago, and now you're responding to God's call and reaffirming your desire to be his, his, his follower, then I want to suggest to you that you plan now to be baptized next Sunday as evidence of that decision. Now, we baptize in the vineyard by immersion. So what that means is you're going to sit on a little stool in here and and you should come up and look at the tank. You can see there's a, there's a galvanized stool in there. It's about one foot tall. You'll sit on that, and we'll, then we'll lean you back under the water to get completely immersed. Because we believe that immersion most closely fulfills the biblical form. Speaking of Jesus' baptism in Mark, uh, the first chapter, we read that Jesus came up out of the water. Now, the word baptize is a transliterated word. What that means is we borrow it directly into the English from the Greek without translation, like we've done with the Spanish tortilla or the French souffle. We Englishize those words. That's what we've done with baptism. It's a Greek word. Uh, it, it literally means to immerse or to plunge. Now, it's a figure of speech. It's an onomatopoeia. Oh, I didn't make that up. I just reported it. But you know what these are. The meaning of these words are derived from the sound they make, like thud or clunk or buzz or zap or hiss. You get it? Baptize or baptism, the noun and verb form, derive their meaning from the sound that an object makes when it is immersed in water. Bap. Oh, got it now, don't we? (laughs) Yogi's on the learning curve today, like the rest of us. And so uh, when a a piece of fabric was immersed in a tub of dye, or when a person was immersed under a body of water, it made a sound. And hence, the word derives its meaning. Now, while the immersion mode of baptism best fulfills the biblical examples. Uh, The Bible doesn't necessarily mandate how much water is used, and so I say that we would not argue with someone who believes that their baptism in another form by sprinkling or pouring uh, was was not valid. We'd say, hey, that's fine. Uh, 
Um, nevertheless, in our tradition, we will baptize by immersion unless there are other extreme or compelling circumstances that would dictate otherwise. Perhaps a person with a handicap or a physical condition that didn't actually allow them to get in the tank. It doesn't mean your baptism wasn't valid if you didn't get all the way wet. Okay? Now, this often prompts a number of people to ask, well, what if I was baptized as an infant? Among Orthodox uh, Christian traditions, there are different perspectives on infant baptism. Some denominations, such as the Episcopal, uh, the Anglican, Presbyterian, Lutheran, Methodist, and Catholic, baptize infants. Others, such as the Baptist, the Christian churches, the Assemblies of God, most non-denominational churches and vineyards as well, do not baptize infants. Parenthetically, you might find it interesting that some traditions don't baptize at all. The Quakers, Salvation Army, don't practice baptism in any form. Perhaps you were baptized as an infant, and you might now be wondering, well, how should I view that baptism? Should I be rebaptized as an adult? Well, let me say, first off, you certainly want to show respect to your parents and your grandparents, their viewpoints, and the spiritual heritage that you received, as well as any spiritual influence you may have had uh, through their tutelage. However, our understanding of what the Bible teaches about baptism is that it is an act of obedience uh, after you believe the gospel. Uh, willfully choosing to surrender your life to Jesus, such act that you cannot do as a child or an infant, that is. And so we don't recognize infant baptism. So if you've not been baptized since you've welcomed Jesus into your life as an adult and want to be his follower, then I would recommend that you get water baptized. Please remember, though, that if you were baptized as an infant, it was no doubt the intent of your parents uh, that someday you would become a follower of Jesus. And in this sense, your baptism as an adult could be viewed as the fulfillment of the wishes of your parents. In no way does it repudiate what you experienced as a child under their care. But in the vineyard, we don't baptize infants Uh, Some denominations and traditions, too, we dedicate infants to the Lord, providing parents an opportunity to public before the church family to uh, commit to raising their children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And we'll have another child baptism, uh, child, no, not child baptism, (laughs) child dedication, um, probably sometime in the end of May or early June. Now, it's not necessary either to be rebaptized if you were originally baptized in another church tradition before coming to the vineyard, provided you had a, a genuine relationship with Jesus and it was a true Christian church. It's not a requirement to be rebaptized for membership or participation here. However, if your baptism was merely a church or religious ritual uh, that was conducted before you had a sense of a personal relationship with Jesus, or if it was in a church that was outside the mainstream of historic Christian orthodoxy, uh, Mormon or Jehovah's Witness or some some other faction in, in the church, then I would encourage you to be validly water baptized for the first time. There are also occasions where people have been baptized when they were younger. Maybe Maybe you did not understand fully the significance of the event. And in other cases, people have actually walked away from God for a period of time. And uh, you now desire to love and serve Jesus full on uh, and be a part of his church. And I would say in such cases, rebaptism would be an issue of personal conviction 
between you and the Lord. You ask the Holy Spirit what is necessary, what is pro- proper, what is prudent. Uh, you may choose to be rebaptized as an act of recommitment to the Lord, uh, but we don't require you to be rebaptized upon becoming a member of the vineyard. Children can certainly be baptized as long as they thoroughly understand um, what they're doing. The vineyard does require that you wait until you're at least six, uh, preferably a little older, so that kids can make an intelligible, intelligent and actually believable profession of faith. That They're not just trying to do this to please mom and dad or grandma and grandpa. Um, we certainly believe that a younger child can be saved. Jesus said, don't forbid the kids to come to me. But the older a child is, the more they're going to understand the dynamic of what is happening, and they'll, it will be more meaningful. Now, like adults, their understanding will grow as they grow. So, in that sense, we shouldn't say, no, honey, you have to wait till you're 12. All right? It's really between the parents and the children. Parents, uh, even this week, uh, if your children are considering baptism, uh, have a dialogue with them. A couple of concluding details. The Bible is not prescriptive on who should do the baptizing. You know that? And so we allow the candidates to select. Uh, very often it will be the pastor. That would be me. Um, a small group leader, uh, maybe a church member who's had an influence in their journey in coming to Christ. Uh, it could often uh, be a family member. A husband may baptize a wife or vice versa. Uh, parents could baptize the children or the grandchildren. Um, Bible isn't prescriptive. There's also some debate among Christians about the actual words spoken during baptism. Some believe, based on the 28th chapter of Matthew, the 18th, 19th, and 20th verses, where Jesus' commission is recorded, that we should say, in the name of the Father, the name of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, when we immerse. Others, including us here at the Vineyard, believe that the apostles who first heard this instruction fulfilled its intent when they baptized, as the book of Acts shows us, in the name of Jesus. To be baptized in the name of Jesus fulfills the intention of the Matthew 28 command. But honestly, the formula isn't the most significant thing. Obedience in being baptized is the most significant thing. And over the last 35 years in ministry, I've baptized in every possible way. I've baptized in Jesus' name, in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and in the name of Jesus, uh, and in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But in the vineyard tradition, we'll baptize in Jesus' name. So here's how it's going to work. If you desire to be baptized, then I would encourage you right now to check the box on your connect card indicating that decision. Do it now so that the devil can't intimidate you and get you to change your mind. You, you, you indicate on your connect card on the back that you're wanting to be water baptized next week. And so the tank will be right here, only it's going to be cleaned out, and it'll be filled with warm water. And what will happen is the service will, will begin in a, a fashion with which you're familiar. We'll open with a song. Uh, Lori will do announcements. <laughs> and uh, then you'll hear a sermon. I'm going to preach a, a, a message that will speak to a wide range of people. So if your friends or family uh, are, are attending, they'll hear the gospel in a way that actually makes sense. Uh, and uh, then we'll take the offering like we normally do. 
and the band may sing several worship songs. And then at that point, participants will have an opportunity to share uh, a one or two minute story. You can tell your story, what it is that God's doing in your life or uh, why you've made this decision. You don't have to, because we understand that one of the, the, the number one public fears of people is speaking in front of an audience. So we totally understand. You don't have to share, but you're privileged to and welcome to, if you'd like. And then what will happen is after everybody has a chance to share, the worship man will continue to worship in a spirit of celebration and, and worship. We'll, we'll just join with him. And then one by one, you as the candidate will come up. You'll, you'll come to the tank and step in. People that you've identified as wanting to have you, uh, you have them baptized will, will come around each side. And then your family can come up and your friends can come up. People can take pictures, can shoot video. And uh, you can hoot and holler all right here. And and as uh, as we prepare, uh, you sit down on that stool. I'm going to ask you two questions just to affirm publicly uh, your faith. One, I will ask if you've turned from a life of sin and selfishness, if you've believed the gospel of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and become a new person. And you'll say, yes, right on, or whatever. And then the second question that I'm going to ask you is, in the act of baptism, are you pledging to fully follow Jesus the rest of your life? And it will be your time, your opportunity to say yes. And so then I will ask you, do you want to hold your nose? Because a lot of people have uh, issues there, totally. And so you'll hold your nose, and I'll grab your wrist, and we will lay you back and immerse you totally underwater. And we will not hold you there unless you want me to. (laughs) The last baptism in our Urbana campus, I had a a young uh, guy that uh, had come out of a a culture that was totally atheistic, had no evangelical witness, and through a long and arduous struggle, had finally believed in Jesus. And he asked me uh, if I would be uh, willing to, to baptize him. And he said, I want you to hold me under for at least 10 seconds. He, he, it was so significant of a decision for him that he wanted me to fully immerse him and for everyone to notice that he had been fully immersed. Now, there were other people in the audience who didn't know what was happening. <laughs> They're like, what's going on? <laughs> so if you want me to do that, I'll tell everyone <laughs> what's happening. You'll come up out of the water and then you can be dismissed immediately. We'll have a, a towel to wrap around you, and then you can go to one of the four restrooms to change your clothes. We're going to continue worshiping, and at the end of our service where we pray for one another, every participant who's been baptized is going to be invited up front, and we're going to gather around you and lay hands on you and ask that Jesus would fill you with the Holy Spirit, and we want to bless you on this journey. It's going to be powerful, and, and uh, it's going to be exciting. Now, just a couple of last points. Uh, just be aware that when clothes get wet, sometimes they can be awkward. So just be sensitive to like uh, what clothes you wear. Normally, the candidates will wear the clothes in which you're going to be baptized to the service. And since we're vineyard casual, you know, that's okay. We don't have a gown or a special deal for you. You just wear your clothes. But just be sensitive to uh, what you're wearing because you're going to be all wet in front of people. Bring a change of clothes in a hairdryer if you want, and you can change in our restroom. And then after we pray and finish the service, we're going to invite everybody here to a dessert reception. And the desserts are going to be made by cracked pepper, so you're going to want to stick around and and share in the joy of that together. Invitations 
are available. If you'd like to invite a coworker, or a family member, or a friend, uh, you can pick these up at, at the info center today. Attractive invitations that look vineyard style where you can actually hand them out this week. And what we have seen historically is that this occasion is often an opportunity for people to, to uh, join with you in celebrating. Maybe an, a, an event that they would not otherwise normally uh, darken the door or the, cross the threshold of the vineyard. They will come next week because you invite them to help celebrate this significant event in your life. So, are we ready for it? I am stoked. Lord, we're just grateful that you draw us to yourself in lots and lots of different ways. And I look through this room today, Lord, and I see just the incredible variety of ways that you have led people to yourself, each one fully authentic. And I bless that. I thank you that it's not one size fits all. It's, it's just powerful, Lord, on, on all the different journeys that you have to get people fully devoted to yourself. I thank you even that the language we use is so radically different person to person. But at the end, it, it amounts to following you fully. We say thank you. We honor you. We love you. And we want our lives to count for you. And now, Lord, we give to you in this offering uh, our gifts, the gifts that we've worked hard to earn just as a way of saying, uh, Lord, thanks. Use us for your glory in your name. Amen.